International Orienteering Podcast Mapping Compass Navigation Skill Orienteering Competition like International Orienteering Podcast As always, it's really nice to welcome you to International Orienteering Podcast uh, And uh, now we are soon turning to December, Ivar And is there some orienteering to talk about still? Uh, well, there is uh, not really any orienteering events to talk about, but I mean, in the world of orienteering, uh, new th- new things happens all the time, so there is plenty of stuff to talk about. And uh, what is in, uh, our episode today? Well, uh, the main theme of today's podcast, it's uh, about Belgium, uh, orienteering in Belgium, uh, so we can maybe call it a bit of a Belgium special today. And then we will also talk a little bit about some news from Sweden uh, regarding Tiumila 2024 and then some other small stuff as well. Yeah, we have a really nice uh, interview with uh, the biggest star in Belgium orienteering also in the mid of the episode. Perfect. Uh, yeah, about uh, Belgium. Uh, uh, how is it with uh, orienteering? I know there is uh, kind of flat terrain, but uh, is it so simple in Belgium, even if it's flat? Um, I think uh, it's divided in two, uh, just as the orienteering community in Belgium. Uh, so there is two orienteering federations in Belgium. You have one from the Flemish part, uh, which is where they're speaking Dutch, the northern part. And then there's one from the Wallonian part that is the south part of Belgium where they are speaking French. Uh, in total, I don't know how many members there are. Uh, the north the north region, they have about 1500s and I'm not sure if the south has more or less. I have no idea really. Uh, but I think also the terrain is uh, kind of different from the north to the south. Uh, north crossing to Holland, it's really flat, uh, while in the south there are more hills. And uh, hills, so we're talking uh, Nordic uh, kind of hills, or is it more? Uh... <laughs> no, we're not talking mountains. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, maybe a couple hundred meters of climbing uh, at the biggest ones. Uh, I've 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 never been in that part of Belgium, but I've seen it from uh, you know from some of the cycling races in the spring, and you know there are some hills there, not not but not mountains or not big big slopes as we're used to, for example in. In Norway or in uh, the Alps. Uh, and of course, uh, as we mentioned earlier, Yannick Michels is the, the big star in Belgium orienteering nowadays. Has there been uh, anyone uh, earlier that has been uh, yeah, representing Belgium and uh, doing good in international races? Uh, well, of course, no one that has been close to where Yannick has been, you know, he has uh, a medal from World Championship, he has a medal from European Champs, he has won with three World Cup races, so that's a completely new level. I think the best ones before Yannick, if we jump 10, 15 years back to Fabien Pascasi, uh, I think he was uh, within the top 30 a few times in the World Championship, uh, so he was competitive, but he was uh, not among the top, and I think before Yannick, he was the best. Uh, do you know which club he ran for in Scandinavia? Uh, I know that for a period he ran with you in Södertälje-Nikvarn. Yeah, he was in Södertälje-Nikvarn. <laughs> that, uh, that was the answer I was looking for. Yeah, and uh, how is it with the events in Belgium? Can you go there uh, to orienteer? Yeah, I mean, uh, there are some 
events that has been i think they are quite established uh, especially the sylvester five days that goes in the days after christmas between christmas and new year's eve uh, and they also in the summer they organized the belgium three days uh, also with yeah they attract some international runners for both these events and then the last few years there's been this awesome antwerp sprint orienteering meeting uh, that has had really really good start list uh, i think it was world ranking events this year with a lot of national team runners from many different countries and i next year that awesome is organized in the autumn so it will be about a month or a month and a half before the european champs uh, in italy so i expect uh, awesome to be maybe one of the best uh, sprint events when it comes to high level of competition competitors next year yeah and uh, and if we look uh, some years uh, to 2025 there will be a really big event in uh, belgium uh, they got uh, yeah championships coming up yeah al- already next year in the spring belgium are organizing the junior european cup uh, in the beginning of april i think uh, but then, of course, in 2025 with the Sprint European Champs, that's the that's the big big stuff coming up in Belgium. And I think we will talk a bit more about that event later on. Uh, there, uh, for us uh, who are a bit uh, older, uh, we remember there was uh, Jaywalk also in Belgium in the mid-1990s. Uh, yeah. Wasn't it one of the first Jaywalks that was ever held? Uh, no, it was in 97. So, yeah, it was... Uh... Ah, okay. Yeah, it was that for... So yeah. 97, who was the king and queen back then? Do you remember uh, that? Uh, uh, Jürgen Rostrup and Johan Moody was the winner in the men's side. And uh, yeah, not uh, an unknown runner in the women's. Uh, Simone Nigli won uh, the long distance. And Hanna Heiskanen from Finland won uh, the short distance there. Yeah, you know, that's so, it's so long ago that it was, uh, it was Simone Lude, not Simone Nigli. Yeah, but uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course, it was. Uh, she was not married uh, in the junior class, so yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah uh, that that means that. Um, oh, how, but how are the Belgium runners doing internationally? I mean, mainly if you're if you're just watching the big events, uh, you have to watch quite carefully to notice more Belgians than Yannick. Uh, but uh, I think their season this year has been low-key quite good for them. Uh, for example, in the World Championship in Denmark, they had all the three men qualified for the A-final. Uh, so it wasn't only Yannick, but there was two more runners in that uh, A-final. Uh, on the women's side, Emste Smul, she was the first runner not qualifying for the sprint. Uh, so she missed out with a few seconds. Uh, and then especially in the European Champs relay, the Belgian men had a really great day. Uh, started with a really good first leg from Yannick Michels, and then they had a good second leg. So they were well within the top 10 halfway through the last leg. Uh, I, I don't remember what they finished, but they were really fighting for a top 10 at European Champs Relay, and that's uh, really, really good for Belgium. And then also in the, in the last race of the year at the World Cup final, uh, there was a young Belgian Swiss Belgian Mathieu Blaise, uh, Blaise or Blaise. I'm not quite sure how that pronounces in Swiss French, Swiss Belgian French. I don't know how you pronounce it, but yeah, he scored a World Cup point in long distance. And if you score a World Cup point, top forty in the long distance, you are a pretty good orienteer. Yeah, uh, definitely. 
But uh, the Europeans uh, champs in home soil a uh, couple of years uh, in front of us. Uh, is that uh, why they have uh, yeah, tuned it up a bit with a new project, maybe? I assume that's a big factor for the motivation for the both for the athletes, but also for the federation. Uh, so we will talk now about the, the B Arrows project. Uh, and then, do you know what the B Arrows is? No, that's I'm curious. Can you can you tell? <laughs> yeah, so B Arrows is like a national team project of the Flemish Orienteering Federation. So you know they have two different federations, and there's also two different national team setups. Uh, and about seventy five percent of the Belgian national team are from the Flemish part, and they are part of this B Arrow project. I see. I see. So it's uh, kind of beside of the national team. I think the, officially the national team is only related to the international events. So there's no training camp or anything set up like that. Everything outside the World Cup and the World Championship is separated between the uh, the Flemish and uh, the the French speaking part. Oh, I see, I see. But uh, how um, how does it uh, work in the B arrows? Is it new from this autumn or? Yeah, this, I think they've been doing it for three years, so gradually building up the, the project. So it's set up in a way inspired a bit from the, the Danish setup. Uh, so one of the Belgium coaches it told me that they were very inspired by Denmark because Denmark also doesn't have that much really interesting terrains. Uh, but if you have a group that are training together and preparing together and everything, you do it properly then it's possible to get good results. So the Bel- the Danish team is the inspiration for this setup. Uh, so what they do is uh, they have often all trainings together. They go to training weekends to train orienteering, uh, for example, in France. Uh, and, and they have coaches that are following the athletes, the daily training of the athletes. They have some scientific training with lactate testing and stuff. Uh, and the whole project is about 30 athletes uh, now from the age from 15 to elite runners. And the total budget for the whole team is around 50,000 euros a year. So I think that's really impressive to be able to get such a big uh, budget uh, in such a smaller interior country as Belgium. Yeah, yeah, that's really impressive. Uh, but uh, they also have uh, quite a lot of athletes if they're uh, 30 athletes. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, I was looking and they have seven different athletes, that, no, different coaches that are connected to this project. Uh, and it's basically every Belgian orienteer that has been participating in World Championship the last 20 years. Uh, so you have Fabian Pascasi as the most uh, known of the Belgian ones. Uh, he was running 10 World Championship back in the days. Um, uh, he was in the top 25 a few times. Uh, so he's like the best runner that is now co- a coach. And the same with the, on the women's side, they have Anna Serayonga, a Spanish girl. Uh, she was also, she has a lot of experience from international racing. We've been doing 10 or 11 world championship and she's also been in the top 20. Uh, so there are some runners that have good international results. So they know a bit what's, uh, what it's all about. And then there are some very interesting ones like, uh, the, the, the main coach for the men elite team, which is Cohen Wilsons. Uh, as an orienteer, he's not that that famous. He's been running one sprint world championship back in Venice in 2014. Uh, 
but he has a background from track and he's, for example, three times Belgian champion of 3000 meter steeplechase. So, of course, they have been collecting uh, the most no knowledgeable orienteers in Belgium, but also they got some input from athletics. Uh, so I think that's uh, really good to have uh, some training expertise from another environment and orienteering too. Yeah, we also know that uh, many of the sprint orienteering know, runners nowadays uh, are uh, taking influences from uh, the track runners. So yeah, that's not so... So that, that could be a good way of doing it. Absolutely. Double threshold uh, sessions a day is uh, usual in the sprint racing. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's, uh, at least in uh, in Norway, it's uh, about Norwegian orienteers, they're doing it a lot, Swedish orienteers also a bit, but I'm not sure how well it's spread already. No, uh, no but in, in uh, Norway and Sweden, it's uh, quite uh, common, at least. So, so maybe in a few years, it will be every sprint orienteer are doing that stuff. And then there's something new coming up. But um, should we hear uh, what Yannick uh, has to uh, tell us after he uh, returned from Mauritius three days? Yeah, that sounds perfect. In the International Orienteering Podcast, we are so uh, lucky that we have with us uh, Yannick Michels uh, this time. Uh, how are you, Yannick? Uh, I'm very good. I just came back from Mauritius, so uh, still a bit tired from the long travel, but uh, I'm glad to be home again in Belgium. Yeah, how is it uh, after uh, you have succeeded in a world championship uh, uh, with uh, getting a medal? Uh, are you motivated or uh, demotivated or how is it to continue season and continue training? Of course, it feels very good to finally take that medal. I think I've been in the scene for a very, very long time. Uh, actually, I ran my first World Champs in 2011. I was still a last year uh, junior that time. Uh, so that was in France. Uh, it was the only the sprint I did in that time. Didn't qualify for the, for the final. But since 2012, uh, I've at least... Uh, in every World Champs I started, uh, I've reached the final. I'm talking only about the sprint, of course, now. So, uh, yeah, I would say after more than 10 years, uh, it was finally time to to get that medal. So I'm extremely happy with that. And um, I think uh, there's still a lot of margin or still a lot of possibilities to do even better. So I'm, I'm of course, motivated to to continue this. Yeah, I, I see you because um, you've been um, yeah, competitive or in the talk for uh, podium positions at least in yeah, since uh, Finland uh, the year after. You're talking about uh, Switzerland, you were in the final in 2012. But the year after, I, I, I mean, then you were really competitive and in Italy and uh, not at least in Scotland, you were yeah, really going for a medal. Was it was it tough then to end up like number five and seven and uh, yeah? I think in in 2012 I reached the final, was number 36 there, but uh, it yeah it became quite quickly better. So in uh, Finland the year after in 2013 I was already number 12, then Italy number seven. I would say that was maybe the first year that I felt like yeah I have the possibility to do very good in sprint. Um, uh, so I was extremely motivated for the year after in 2015. I think also that year I was in a very, very good shape. 
focused also a lot on my running career and did both in three and five k personal best. So um, yeah, I think Scotland. Uh, I'm looking back. <laughs> Both positive and negative on that uh, on that world champs. Uh, positive was that uh, I had the shape and I knew that I could manage a medal. And negative is that yeah, of course I, I like many know I felt felt over there over a fence. Yeah, uh, and I missed uh, I missed I think a possibility to take a medal, maybe even getting world champion there. Um, so that was of course a very sad moment <laughs> in my career. But uh, yeah. It's now 2022, and it's finally, it finally, I or I finally managed to to win that that medal. So um, yeah, it took some years. Um, of course, sprint is a is the discipline where most things can go wrong. I would say uh, you need to be really good on that day. Of course, that it's in every discipline, but in sprint, it's uh, I would say it's even harder. Uh, and even nowadays, I would say that. With uh, both forest and sprint walk splitted up, uh, a lot of runners focused more and more on sprint. So I think it was harder in Denmark than it was before. Um, so I'm even more proud that I managed to do it uh, this year. Yeah, is it a relief or a satisfaction? Uh, uh, I should not uh, conclude, but I may think I saw you were was a bit. Uh... Uh, crying after you it was uh, settled that you got a, a medal yeah i think yeah if i i'm i'm a, i'm an athlete who is putting a lot of maybe pressure on myself on the on the performances so uh of course i was i was hoping and waiting for this medal in a very for a very long time already and i would say yeah in in walk this year which is a bit of a roller coaster at the finish uh I was already twice number four in the previous world champs. So uh, when I came to the finish and uh, Per Forsberg announced that uh, it would probably be again a fourth place, I, I just <laughs> I felt extremely sad and uh, I thought this was the, going to be the last race <laughs> of my um, of my career. But then uh, yeah, when Chris Jones jumped over uh, a control or forgot the control, yeah, I I I became number three. So it was. <laughs> A very mixed feeling at that moment, and of course, of course, yeah, I was a bit uh, emotional at that moment. So, yeah, it, it, I think it is part of this whole uh, process, and uh, I'm yeah. shy to say that I was, I was emo- emotional, and I was happy to, to, yeah, to get that medal finally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, already last year, you got got a medal in uh, Europeans. Uh, was that uh, just uh, it's a world champions medal? even uh, so much bigger uh, than uh, Europeans and uh, how do you evaluate that? Of course, uh, if if you say to someone I got a world champion medal or a European champion medal, I would say world champion medal is is still yeah the highest you can achieve. Of course, in orienteering, mostly yeah European countries are on the top. Um, so the, the the guys and the level is very similar, but uh, in my opinion, getting a world champ medal is still a little bit uh, higher or more important than a European champs medal. Yeah, and I know uh, that you have a, a world champs medal. Then then you can go in Bel- Belgium and get uh, how many sponsors you you ever want, or how is it for orienteering in Belgium? 
Yeah, we are orienteering. <laughs> orienteering is a very small sport in Belgium, so uh, it's not easy to 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 get any sponsor. I would say uh, mostly because sponsors want media attention, and media attention is not that big. We are not a television sport uh, yeah. in Belgium, of course. Since I've been uh, doing so well in, in orienteering uh, and the results were there, uh, I would say that orienteering has become a bit more popular or at least the media is, is, is talking about it, writing about it. So I'm very proud to, to also achieve this, to be, make our sport a bit bigger. Uh, but still, yeah, money, money is not that easy to get in, in, in our sport. But I would say that both, the federation and some private sponsors are helping me very well and I get the chances to to do and compete a lot. So, yeah, um, at least now with the European champs in three years in Belgium coming up, uh, there will be a bit more, more possibilities. So, uh, yeah, it's yeah. looking good, I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, uh, you, can, um, you can set your goals. And, and what are your goals? Uh, if you look, uh, yeah, one, uh, one year to 2023 20, and uh, yeah, maybe an, even also longer uh, to the, as you mentioned, the European champs in Belgium and uh, home soil in 2025. Yeah, next year it's quite clear that the European champs in sprint in Italy in the autumn, that will be the, the biggest or the most important race for me. So, um that's where I fully focus on, but I have also a bit ambition in all the other World Cup uh, races and maybe even for world champs in Switzerland in the forest. Uh, I know I, I don't have the level what I have in sprint, but uh, yeah, I like orienteering. I like also a lot of forest orienteering. So uh, I have some ambition and I have some goals to, to do well on those races. Uh, in the past, we had uh, Fabien Pasquazi. And he has set uh, quite some good results in the, the forest races. So I've said always after the sprint, maybe I want to become also the best Belgian orienteer in, in middle and long. So uh, I think that's a motivation for me. Uh, um, but yeah, still a sprint is, is the, the, main, the main target for next year in 2023. Yeah, so you, you see that the, the forest orienteering can be a uh pushing the back not a contraproductive uh, way of uh, for the sprint it's good for you to do also some uh, forest running you think uh yeah i i would say that uh even though a lot of people think that i'm only doing sprint orienteering i'm i'm, I'm still at least having a lot of training camps um in the forest mostly with with, with my finnish club of course during Mets and caveat but um, yeah, I, I, I like orienteering. I like to do it both uh, as sprint and also the forest discipline. So I don't think that uh, it will have any harm on my performance in sprint. So uh, I would even say that running in different terrains, different terrains, different maps, uh, that it will develop also my sprint focus. Yeah, and, uh, and uh, I, I like to say that... Uh... Yeah, you're uh, having a goal uh, in uh, you're saying Europeans and uh, the Europeans on home home soil uh, even further uh, in the future. Uh, but uh, I know you that you have uh, medals. Uh, is it only the top of the podium you're uh, aiming for? Yeah, of course. In a sprint, I, I'm 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 running to to win. <laughs> I'm very <laughs> maybe a bit. Uh... Yeah. 
like very clear for me that uh, a sprint race i know i can do well i know i can be the best uh, if everything goes well so i think i should achieve at least for the highest there uh, and with european champs next year in italy uh, then the year after we have world champs in sprint in scotland uh, that's a big big goal i would say uh, but then yeah three years later in 2025 we have uh, the first ever big, I would say, on senior level elite event in Belgium. So yeah, it's very excited and I think it will give a big boost for orienteering. So that's, uh, that's really good. And, uh, and uh, also it's uh, world champs in Finland that year. But you will maybe skip that and uh, only go for the Euro- Europeans in Belgium. Yeah, we have, at least I've been thinking about it. Uh, I haven't discussed totally with uh, with the federation yet, but uh, I think yeah, it's so big to have finally a European champs in Belgium and it's a bit of a short time between the world champs in Finland and the European champs in Belgium. So it's only a few weeks. So I, I think the focus will be probably only on the European champs to do well, to do yeah, on my very best there. Um, I'm 31 this year, so I will be 34 years old in, in that year. So I wouldn't say I'm the youngest anymore, but uh, yeah, if I see nowadays how well the, the, young, the young athletes are, are doing in sprint, uh, I think I need to prepare for 100% in that uh, championship. Yeah, the, the level increases year by year. But uh, you have also done some uh, something interesting in... Uh... Belgium uh, or in the Flem- Flemish part of Belgium, you have a, a team called B Arrows, uh, where you are a part. Uh, what is this, and how does this affect your uh, your uh, yeah your uh, your uh, your um, your <laughs> your training and motivation compared to what it was when you were a senior ten years ago? Yeah, when I was, uh, I would say even when I was a junior and uh, mostly the first years as a senior, there. There wasn't much help maybe in Belgium. Um, I was doing a lot on my own, traveling alone to to World Cup races all over the world. But since three years now, um, at least the the Flemish part of Belgium, because we have two two federations in Belgium, one in the north and one in the south. Uh, And the north part, so the Flanders part where I live, they have started up this B Arrows project where it's from youth to junior and uh, senior uh, where where yeah we are training together where they have some common training camps uh, both uh, in uh, in Belgium and abroad so i think it's at least for the youngsters it's very important to have this and i think it's a very big motivation for them to see me in uh, some trainings and to see where i or what what results i have achieved so i would say it's yeah for the development of our sport and the development of the results in our sport, I think it's a very good uh, project, uh, and I'm yeah, I'm hundred percent supporting it. Uh, is it uh, is it uh, camps and economically, or is it also like uh, I've seen Fabian Pascasi, as you mentioned earlier, he is one of the yeah, coaches or yeah, mentors. Indeed. Yeah, indeed, we like I said. It's a bit of a difficult situation, I would say, with the two federations in in Belgium. So um, we have one national team, but uh, 
both the North and the South Federation are sending their own runners to selection races. They are planning their own camps. But um, yeah, the North is a bit more structured now, I would say, with this Bieros uh, project. So there are common trainers or coaches, uh, both for youth, uh, junior and, and seniors. Uh, one of them is Fabien. Fabien has a very good uh, history and he knows very well what to do, what to become a, a high a high performance elite athlete. So he is helping and he is setting courses. And of course, yeah, it's common training camps is one thing. Um, some lactate tested, uh, some presentations together. And then, of course, also the, the an economic support is coming from that, uh, that part. Can, can you set a target? Can you, uh, as you maybe not, uh, you're maybe the best runners, not only maybe, but can you set the goals and where to go to camps and such on? Of course, they. I, I have a plan already for the coming is what I want. So uh, I'm discussing with the uh, with the team or with the uh, with the coaches from the team what what I'm planning to do. So they try to at least make a program which is fitting with my program. Um, so that's a good, a very good part. Um, but the goal or the overall goal from the Bieros project is to to achieve results as a senior so i think i'm a good example of that and uh, that's a motivation for your boat from you to junior to to achieve this yeah that sounds like a good uh, good uh, goal and um, to uh, take this over to the nordic orienteering uh, you're also having a nordic club in turin messenkeviet uh, what's your uh, ambitions for the big relays in tiumila uh, yukla next year um yeah it's uh it's already since 2015 that i uh joined to me so uh they're uh, yeah, a big part of my my orienteering success i would say um i was really happy that uh, a finnish club wanted to support a sprint orienteer i would say so uh since then i've always uh, joined their camps they have a lot of training camps we actually will go <laughs> to the first one next week in Madeira for one week. Um, so, of course, for them, the most important thing is both Tiomila and especially Yukala in uh, their home country. So um, we always try to, to also set yeah, the goal of doing as good as possible in Tiomila and Yukala. Of course, you have 10 or 7 runners, so uh, everything needs to be very going very well uh, in these races, but uh, I think we have the potential and we have the skills to 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 be on the podium. So I think that is at least the goal we set every year. Uh, no, you're running for them. Uh, is it uh, maybe in a couple of years uh, possible that B Arrow can have a team at uh, Team Ilayukla? I think it could be. We have enough runners, so uh, there's still many are uh, are still uh, young, but uh, I think it could be fun to do it in some years, especially yeah, there. In I think in Yukola is easier. They only have uh, or you need only seven runners, so uh, maybe it's something uh, I would I should uh, discuss with them. So uh, so, but first, it's um, for you. It's uh, next season with the Europeans in Italy. Were you aiming for top position? Indeed, yeah. The autumn, it's a bit late, I would say. It's a bit different uh, 
to to focus on the on the yeah on that late in the in the season but uh, yeah i've done that before mostly as i'm doing also a lot of running competitions during the winter season so yeah, i'm really looking forward to that yeah in uh, 2019 it also was a call it a late season with the uh, forest orienteering in the beginning and when you yeah, came in the end there and won some sprint races in the world. Yeah, Cup. yeah, yeah. That was a very good example. Yeah, that was the year I I decided to skip uh, the world champs in Norway and focus fully on the on the autumn season. And I would say it was extremely successful with both uh, victories in uh, Switzerland and uh, in China. So uh, yeah, let's do the same next year. Yeah, sounds good. Uh, sounds good, Yannick. And uh, thank you for having time to talking to us uh, today. And uh, good, uh, good luck in the training camp coming up with Tume also next week. Uh, you're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Goodbye. It was uh, a lot of interesting there from uh, Yannick uh, in the interview. Uh, what, uh, which takes uh, do you have, Ivo? Uh, well, we can start with uh, the obvious ones. Like, uh, of course, the bronze medal at this year's World Championship was really big for him. Uh, but it feels like... Uh, he has still a lot of hunger for more uh, and he has a few more chances to do even better in the future. Uh, even if he's now 30, 31, uh, I think he will, he should have every possibility to be competitive on the absolute top level for sprint races, at least until home European champs in 2025. Uh, and then maybe sometimes when you're getting close to 35 or even getting older, it might be hard to, uh, to keep the extreme pace needed for the sprint orienteering. But uh, we have seen Daniel Hubman being competitive uh, long after he's 35. Um, so, yeah, I think he has a, a three, four, five more shots at uh, winning an international medal. Yeah, I was uh, kind of surprised that uh, yeah, uh, some athletes are getting this uh, post-championship uh, uh, not the depression, but the demotivation uh, after. Uh, I don't know how that was uh, with Olav, your brother, but uh, there are some examples that some uh, don't get uh, really good results after a, yeah, a good or even though a bad uh, championship in the summer. And they, they don't train so much. But the Yannick, he was really motivated. So no problems with that. Yeah, I think it's uh, when you get there, especially when it's like the first big medal, I think it's really, uh, that should be a more positive in than, than damaging in a motivational way, at least uh, in long term. Uh, but as you say, uh, many people, they have some short term motivational problem when they feel they reach the goal. Uh, but I think Yannick was quite clear that uh, the goal is to do better. Uh, so yeah, a, a bronze medal is great, but uh, I'm pretty sure he really, really wants to to win uh, an international event, um, European champs or world champion, especially. About uh, post-champs uh, demotivation, do you know Carl uh, Henrik Bjørset? I I know the name, but you know that was long before <laughs> my days. Uh, he he won two uh, medals in uh, long distance in uh, world champs twenty years ago, and after one uh, one of them in Finland, um, there was national champs. Uh, Maybe two months later, and we were uh, eating breakfast together. And then uh, Hova Tveita, rest in peace, said to Bjorset, uh, You are our favorite today uh, before this long distance. And then he replied, 
Uh, that's uh, kind of strange because I've uh, trained maybe two or three times after world champs. So, <laughs> so it was yeah. uh, the two uh, two sessions in two months, but uh, that's uh, quite extreme, I think. Yeah, you know, I think in general, you know, athletes they are more, a bit more professional nowadays. So, <laughs> yeah, but he also was an artist uh, or uh, what do you call it. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah, but if we move, jump back to Yannick, he said that uh, he has a go. He's of course the best Belgian orienteer of all time, uh, but he's not the best Belgian forest orienteer yet. And he said that's uh, a goal. Uh, so I had to look it up. And Fabien Pascasi, he has a 23rd place in middle distance and a 28th place in long distance. Uh, and then the question is like, is that possible to be uh, for Yannick, for example, already in Switzerland next year? Uh, yeah, what, what do you, you think? think? Yeah, I, uh, yeah, <laughs> you ask the questions. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, if you ask me, I, I would say that um, a long distance uh, in Switzerland will uh, suit him quite well uh, if he, uh, yeah, get on the right route choices on the long legs. But uh, that can be, uh, he need to be accurate in the slopes into the uh, controls in the slopes. So. Uh, but uh, in the middle distance, I'm. Uh, I I don't think uh, that's so easy for him. I I'm I'm a bit unsure about his possibilities in the long distance. I mean, his running capacity is really really good. Uh, in general, we can expect quite hard surface in Switzerland for the long distance next year. Uh, but I'm a bit worried about the the many meters of climbing and the, especially the downhills uh, because you know he's training so much running flat in Belgium and when he goes to training camps it's often to Finland where it's also quite flat so I'm not sure if the long distance with a lot of up and downhill will actually suit him even if by many other factors it's it should it should it should suit him I think the the uphill and the downhill that might be the the problem yeah so you you think he's better possibilities when we are uh, yeah, going further uh, to Finland, or um, but he will not run maybe in Finland. Yeah, I mean that's uh, he's been he's been running for Tour de Metsinkevi now for seven years, so he's been training and racing a lot in Finland. Uh, so my uh, my view is that he has a better chance of getting a top twenty five position in Finland than he has in Switzerland. Uh, but then, as you said, like the, yeah, it's just about one month between the World Championship in Finland and the European Champs in Belgium. And with the home championship, it's like the end of his career, probably. Uh, as then he will be 35 at the time. Uh, so I can understand that he might focus everything for that race, the European Champs. And yeah, so maybe he will never really get a good shot at trying his best uh, for a forest race, uh, which of course is a shame. But I mean, even if even if he goes all in for the forest, I, I don't think he would be a top 10 candidate. So if, yeah, if Yannick becomes 21 or Papaskasi has his 23rd place, it's not that really big deal. I think the, the medals he can win in European Champs or World Championship when it's sprint races are much more important for Belgium as an orienteering nation. Yeah, and um, if he skips um, the World uh, Champs in Finland in 2025, the, as he mentioned the season could be quite uh, uh, looking like uh, 2019 when uh, there was uh, no uh, international running for him uh, 
uh, in Norway in the forest races in uh, World Champs in Norway, and he uh, had uh, his uh, sprint races in the autumn, and he succeeded really well there. So uh, if we shift that uh, peak performances um, two months or one and a half months, uh, then then that will be good for him. Yeah, and you know most of his top competitors at European Champs, they will be focusing on forest until the World Championship and then have a month to transition transition into sprint uh, modus. And of course, if he's going only for the sprint, I think that will be a huge, huge benefit. Yeah, and uh, and uh, it's also yeah you saw this year uh, no Chris Jones he was uh, disqualified. Uh, but uh, you saw in the individual sprint this year that um, none of the three who in the men's class who took the medals uh, were running the knockout sprint. So um, they are already there in the champs doing some prioritations. Yeah, I mean, I think it was very special this year at the World Champs to have the knockout sprint uh, not as the last event because the knockout sprint, they, if you're running in the final, it's such a hard day. You run so many kilometers. You run so much fast. Uh, you have very intense warm-up four times. Um, but yeah, I think for World Champs next uh, next spring, World Champs it will be opposite. So it will be like the knockout sprint uh, the last. Um, so I think that will that will be better uh, and more fair in a way because a normal sprint race it's not that tiring two days after. Uh, while a knockout sprint they can set you back muscularly and mentally many days. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but from a knockout sprint to uh, the big uh, club relays, uh, Tour gave it uh, in Tio Milan Jukola next year. Uh, they're always aiming for the podium. But uh, yeah, uh, they're, uh, they have not been up there uh, lately. No, I mean, uh, they were quite good I wonder if the last time they were on the podium at Jukola was in 2015. Uh, I think they were third back then, but I'm not quite sure. Uh, but yeah, before that, they were often quite high up at Jukola fighting for um, a top spot, uh, a really top spot, like the top three, top five. Uh, while lately, it's been most, mostly fighting for top ten. Um, and I struggled to see them winning or struggle to see them finishing on the podium because I think they are lacking the little bit of quality. Uh, like before this season, they made a, a quite big transfer to get Ruslan Glebov. Uh, but then again, he only came to run for them in Finland. So he was running Tiumila and all the races in Sweden for Uko Ravinen. And then he was at Jukola with, uh, uh, with Ture Metzinkevje. And of course, Ruslan is a really, really good runner. He has uh, a lot of he has medals internationally, uh, and he could be the guy that is good enough to take him on the podium on the last leg. But he's still, you know, yeah, uh, he's getting old. I think he's like 35 now, uh, and I think it would be if they really wanted to be top top level fighting for a victory. I think they would need one ru- runner that is like better than Ruslan to run the last leg, and then Ruslan could run the second last. Um, so I think they are lacking the tiny bit of quality in the end of the relay to actually get all the way to the podium. But if, if they are finishing fifth or seventh or ninth or something, that would still be a good result and it will not be uh, a big surprise. Uh, but I think they're lacking a little bit. 
Yeah, but it can be good for the the Finnish teams that uh, Tiumle is so late this year or the coming year. Yeah, so next year it's uh, three weeks later than it normally is. Uh, and yeah, I think that's good for the Finnish clubs. Uh, I think it's also good for the Norwegian clubs. Um, because Norway and Sweden, we have a little bit more snow in general than Sweden has. Um, so yeah, I think that's good for uh, for the Finnish clubs. But then again, for Trume at Tumila, then they don't even have Rus- Russland. Uh, I expect it, to, it will be the same deal with him this year. So he will run in Sweden for Uko Ravinen and then he will run in Finland for Turin Messenkevia. Uh, and of course, it, if they had him at Umila, that would make a big difference, but it would still uh, not solve the, the, the biggest problem that is like to really win or to be on the podium. Most of the times you need one really, really, really good runner on the last leg. And Ruslan is really good. Uh, still, but I think he's, yeah, with his age and, you know, he's prioritizing the championship maybe a bit more. Uh, I don't think he is at that top level uh, for Jukola, for example. Um, until a couple of years ago, I used to say that you need uh, Lundanes, Jojo or Hubman on the last leg to win at Jumila or Jukola. And that's counted for many years. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean... Uh, uh, lately, it's been uh, quite a big variation. Like, you know, if Göteborg has won with a lot of different last leg runners, uh, Stora Tuna has won Jukola with two different last leg runners. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, the possibilities are there if you if you get a gap. Uh, but it, if you want to have that gap, it demands a lot from the, the rest of the team. Yeah, uh, of course. It was uh, quite a task for Victor Svansk to... Go out there and run the last leg in Jukola uh, last year or this year. Uh, but he managed. So, uh, yeah, that was a tough challenge. Uh, how about Piaros uh, uh, for Team Milan Jukola? Do you think we will have them uh, against Team Emmet in uh, two or three, four, five years? Um, I will say I hope not. Uh, because I think it's uh, yeah for the orienteers from a small orienteering nation like Belgium. I think it's really, really important uh, to get a Scandinavian club uh, so you can go to Scandinavia to train in a bit more technical, demanding terrain. Uh, and you can also race a bit more in Scandinavia outside just the relays. Uh, so if I was uh, in the B Arrows uh, leading group, uh, I would I would uh, say to the runners that uh, you should try to find a club uh, in Norway, Sweden, or Finland, where you can go to some training camps, where you can go and run some races, and also be a part of the Team Milan Jukola teams there. I think that's better for the development of the runners. That That's also something uh, for runners from small countries, uh, like uh, uh, small con- like Belgium and, uh, and other small nations. They Like Yannick, he, he was in the World Champs uh, still as a junior. And I know that uh, Thierry Jojo, he uh, ran his first uh, World Champs uh, when he was uh, still the second year uh, as a junior. So then you get experience quite early uh, yeah. in, uh, in the Champs. That, that could, that's good. Then you know what a Champs, it, champs is when you're uh, as expected to perform in that uh, championship. Yeah, of course. And uh, like Yannick, for example, you know, he ran... Uh, yeah, a lot of European U champs. Uh, he ran a lot of J walks, and he's been running a lot of World Championships. 
um, and of course it's uh, it's uh, good in one way to get the experience from uh, from running this kind of championship you know in in Norway Sweden or Finland if you get one jaywalk it's good if you get two it's really good and there are very few people that get three jaywalk uh, while in smaller orientation nations like Belgium uh, Spain Portugal Great Britain and sometimes you have runners that run maybe four or even five times jaywalk before they even go to the senior class um but yeah in general i think it's better for the bigger nations anyway because yeah, the experience from the the championship it's it's not that important i mean if you're good enough you will get more chances to get the experience later on yeah of course but uh when you're in the bigger nations uh, you, you you are expected to to uh take up a uh, podium uh, position and uh, the first time you make a debut almost so yeah uh, more or less yeah more or less that's true but uh, have, you, yeah. ha- have you ever been running in belgium uh yeah i was uh preparing for that uh jaywalk we mentioned uh, earlier on oh ah, yeah, yeah yeah so you were there for training camps and stuff yeah yeah mm-hmm. uh during winter so uh, yeah, then it was uh, quite flat and uh, sand sand dunes, uh, quite a lot of that uh, running there. Yeah, I've also been um, yeah to the Flemish part uh, running really really flat. Uh, I was there ten years ago now, visiting my good friend Torn Melis, you know the creator of the Facebook page or interior memes, uh, and he was organized. He and his father was organizing some uh, event GP Melis, and I was there and. I got beaten okay. by what uh, was then a Belgian junior, uh, Evert Loives, which is now in the in the elite team, and he was uh, he was quite uh, promising back then. And then he's been a bit off from the sport for a few years, but now this year he had a really good uh, European champs relay. So, okay. Yeah. So he he's back again. Yeah, I mean he was uh, quite promising when he was like 17, 18, and then he kind of disappeared from my radar uh, until this year. Um, so it was good to see him back. Yeah, and what can we expect from uh, him and uh, the other uh, Belgian runners? Uh, yeah, the, yeah, first uh, next year well, and then the coming years. I think yeah, you have to consider Yannick to be one of the big, big favorites for all the sprint races in the coming years as well. Uh, he's already... Yeah, had international medals, he has won World Cup races, and I don't expect that to change. Um, and then, of course, in the sprint races, for example, the sprint European champs in Italy next year, uh, the two guys that were in the A final of the World Champs this year, Vare de Kuiper and Wout de Ruiz, they should also be able to fight for a top 30, top 40 at the European champs. Uh, in the forest, I'm not... I'm not having that high expectations. Uh, I think the, the Belgium relay team in the men's class did really well at European champs, um, but that terrain probably suited them a lot better than what Switzerland will do uh, because of the, yeah, Estonia is quite flat as Belgium, uh, while Switzerland is really steep, not as Belgium. So I think that will be hard for them. Uh, I think the ba- the best chance they have for a good individual result is of course Yannick, uh, but also Matthias Blaise, uh, the, the Swiss Belgian that is living in Switzerland and yeah, so he should have quite good uh, possibilities to prepare well for the World Championship in Switzerland and so yeah, maybe a top 30 would be a good result for the best Belgium individually Yeah, uh, I see, I see uh, so uh, we 
we still have to wait a couple of years to get the get the really good the BROs international results. Yeah, I think if you if you want more than Yannick, I think maybe for yeah maybe for 2025 at home European Champs, there should have maybe one or two runners that could be able to run a top 15 or top 20 result. That would be great. Uh, and then maybe down the down the line, they have some quite they have quite few they have quite some interesting juniors this year. I saw from Jaywalk, for example, they have uh, this girl that is called Tilly the Smule. Uh, she has still two more years as a junior. And she was uh, just outside the top 30 at Jaywalk, both in the sprint and the long distance. That's pretty good for an 18-year-old. Uh, so if she can continue to grow and become better, I mean, she could be, she could well possibly be a top 10 candidate at her last Jaywalk year in two, in two years' time. Uh, and also Rune de Klerk in the men's class, he's one year younger. So it was his first year as a junior this year. Uh, and he was top 50 in the long distance. He was top 50 in the sprint. And he also had a yeah, result just outside the top 10 at European Youth Champs. Um, so I think uh, these two runners are, yeah, I mean, they are, I think Rune de Klerk is uh, well above where Yannick Michels was internationally uh, at the same age. Uh, so there are some possibilities here. And then, yeah, as I said, I mentioned Matthias Blaise, that is like Swiss-Belgian. Uh, I know that there is another orienteering family in Switzerland that has a Belgian one of the parents are Belgian, uh, so they are the kids are Swiss Belgian, and maybe in a few years' time they will represent Belgium. Uh, so that's like Simon Hamel. He's first year senior next year, and he's in that uh, connection group to the national team. And then there's a, a girl that is 17 or 18, Justine Hamel. I think she was running AOC for Switzerland this year. So you know, maybe in a few years' time they will be running for Belgium instead. And that would be possibly be a very good addition to the Belgium national team. Yeah, and we will uh, suspect uh, all in the orienteering in Belgium will get a boost when they have a junior European Cup uh, the coming spring and then uh, the Europeans in home uh, soil uh, in a couple of years. That will be yeah, really, motivation, really motivated for that. Yeah, and I mean, you know... Of course, they don't have the best conditions, but they still have some interesting terrains. And, uh, you know, the most important thing is uh, training and mental preparation. And those things are always free. So, yeah, every possibilities are here. Sounds good. Sounds good. But uh, it uh, maybe not uh, looks and sounds so good. The news we've got uh, the last few days regarding Tiumila 2024. Tiumila uh, Foreningen, as they're called, uh, have announced that they are looking for a new competition area. Uh, what do we know about that uh, more than just uh, those few words? Yeah, well, it seems to be a bit of a mess going on there in, in Stockholm right now. So the Tiumila 2024, uh, which is in one and a half year, next year in 23, it will be organized up north in Skellefteå, uh, but in 24 it, it was planned to be organized in Kungsängen, which is just north of Stockholm, and was uh, originally planned to be here in 2020, uh, but then of course COVID, there was no Tiumila, uh, so they got 2024 instead. Uh, the problem is that this uh, forest area is a military training ground, and because of the world situation, you know, with the war in Russia and Sweden are now uh, uh, yeah, going to NATO, uh, the military, they cannot guarantee that the terrain will be available for a race 
uh, one and a half year down the road. Uh, so yeah, uh, that was the announced by Tiumila Foreningen, that the, org, the the owners of Tiumila that they are looking for a new uh, for a new uh, competition area. But it's also become clear today that uh, actually they need to look for new organizers because uh, yeah, one of the three clubs that are was planned to organize a small club called Sumbiberi. They have gone out uh, in the, like the mem members' newspaper and written about why they will not be organizing Tiumila. Um, so yeah, they they are ain't look, only looking for a new competition area, but also new organizers. And uh, what are uh, these reasons that Sundbybergs um, are uh, telling about that? Yeah, I mean, I think there are a few reasons, but uh, it basically comes down to the economic risk. Um, because there will be a big change in the format of Tiumila as the women's relay will have to be moved uh, as women are also going to run night legs. Uh, I think a lot of people, they know that this has been discussion and it's an option uh, that will happen. But I mean, it's not an option. It, it is going to happen. The question is just when it's going to happen. Um, because there is this new rule in Swedish volunteering that was voted on some Swedish volunteering convention about the equal competition format. Uh, so Cumula, they have no choice. They have to follow the rules from the Swedish Federation. And if if the men are running night legs, then also the women has to run night legs. Um, and when it will happen, that's a bit unclear, but it will happen sometimes. And in the text from Sundbyberg, they are writing that it was planned to happen already in 2024. Uh, and this is part of the problem of the of the economical risks. A bit with organizing uh, Tiumila. And uh, yeah, what are we doing now? Yeah, I mean, first, uh, um, uh, a bit more about the economical risk, perhaps, uh, because as there's a big change in the format, uh, you don't really know how it will affect the numbers of the teams and the number of the runners, and therefore it's hard to know how much income you will get from organizing such a big event. When it's all set and you know you've been doing it for maybe one year two years then it's easier to adjust income and expenses but the first year it's really hard to predict and here the organizing clubs they were they were wanting some kind of financial guarantee from the swedish volunteering federation uh, which uh, yeah they the swedish federation are declining to offer the organizing some sort of economic uh, guarantee and you know when this big changes they were voted by representatives from the swedish orienteering community and therefore also the federation so one can think that it would be in the hands of the swedish orienteering federation to support that this change is possible to happen without organizing clubs carrying a very very, very big risk um, so yeah i think uh, it looks a bit bad for the swedish orienteering federation that they are yeah i mean they are mentally or they are with words they are supporting this change but they are not really willing to actually show that they're really supporting it by putting their uh, their hands really in it yeah we should not judge anyone but uh, i think it's quite uh, it's not so fair to put all the risk on the organizing uh, club or the technical organizers as we may call it uh, uh, no we have uh, yeah, one and a half year uh, until Tiumila 2024. Do we have any options what uh, to do? Well, 
I mean, when I was uh, reading about it, my first, and I realized that it's not only a new competition area in Stockholm that is needed, it's also new organizers. My first minds went to uh, Ibrifjell because they also in 2020, they offered to do Tiumila uh, back in the COVID period. Um, but you know, Ibrifjell, you can't, uh, you can't organize anything there in, in the beginning of May. Uh, so if that's going to be an option, Tiumila has to be moved to the later to the summer, to the autumn or something like that. Then you know that can be really hard uh, to find space in the calendar that fits. Um, another option like that would be uh, Mura, for example. It, they could organize in Grövelsjön, where it was Swedish champs this year. But there's the same issue. Uh, you might have a club that could organize and you have a terrain, but you have also snow. So the two best options in my way are also no options because um, because of the winter condition in beginning of May. Uh, so I have no idea. Uh, it's uh, one and a half year. It's not a lot of time. Um, luckily, Sweden is a really big orienteering country, a lot of big clubs. Uh, and I'm sure that they're, they will come up with one, one solution or the other, um, whether it, in the end, it might end up that they will move it to the autumn because it's easier to find an organizer for that because then you could also uh, add a few more months of planning and stuff. Um, but yeah, of course, it looks really bad to do not have a organizer for such a big event with less than 18 months to go. Yeah, and uh, competition calendar is uh, quite, uh, quite tough, uh, especially internationally, but uh, it's uh, maybe, as you mentioned, thinner in the autumn and could be possible to, to squeeze in a, a relay in a weekend in the autumn but uh, yeah we will see they are probably uh, looking at both uh, the calendar and uh, possibilities right now and yeah, about... I think the first step is to you know you need to be in contact with the clubs and then to see what they can what options they have and then you have to look at the calendar but yeah there's a lot of work to be done to sort this out uh, yeah, about possibilities. Um, we have uh, heard that uh, the great sprinter in terror, Chris Jones, is uh, training for uh, Seville Marathon in February. This is a quite flat uh, course, and uh, yeah, you know he has a really good capacity um, in running. Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, uh, first of all, I think if you want to run a fast time, Seville. The Via Marathon is really good. It's one of the flattest and fastest courses in Europe. So it's a good condition for Chris to run a fast time there. Uh, of course, Chris has run a lot of road races, 10 kilometer races, half marathons, stuff like that. So he is familiar with racing on the road. Uh, he also had a really good uh, trail championship in, in, in Thailand a month ago. So he's uh, on the longer courses. He can do really well on that too. So it's it's hard to predict what he will do uh, but i'm i will i'm taking jonas landerson as an example because a few years after he retired from orienteering uh, he did his marathon debut in stockholm in 216 and then uh, he ran to just below below 214 in hamburg the year after and i think that uh, chris should be able to run faster than that so i'm guessing a time around 213 uh, if everything goes well. Uh, and it's really interesting because uh, he is uh, writing on his social media, uh, both Twitter and Instagram, 
uh, about his training leading into this marathon, giving like weekly summaries and giving some thoughts about what he's thinking about the training. So even if it's not really orienteering relevant, I think it's really interesting also for orienteers to have a look at um, at his training and why why he's doing what he's doing. Did you read his uh, quote there in uh, winter training? Uh, about the routines. Yeah, the routines. Yeah, it's uh, it, the key is to you. You don't have to want to go training. You need routines, so you go training anyway. That's a yeah. good quote. It isn't a decision. It's just something I do. I just get out the door. Then you need a plan. Yeah, I mean, because if you have to decide, if you have to think about it every time you're going out to train, I mean, sometime, many, or perhaps many times, we will decide that ah, I don't want to go training today. Uh, but of course, if uh, if you are, if you have to go, I mean, it's no, no, no question. And Chris has always he has a public training log on the Attack Point website. So I've been following his training a bit uh, for many years. And he a lot of his training has been like you know running to work and running home from work, uh, and it's quite a long distance, so it's really impressive. Yeah, but uh, that was kind of the same with the, the earlier mentioned uh, Jonas Andersson also. Uh, yeah, running uh, back and forth uh, to work. Yeah, and I mean, if you are working and you want to train a lot, it's not always so easy to find time. So I mean. It's more efficiency if you can do the training while you have to move from home to work or from work to home. Uh, so you know you can do two things at once. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, do you have any more on that? Uh, do you have any more runners who are uh, going to run? Uh, not as not as uh, I know of, uh, but uh, I guess it might show up sometimes in the future that we and then we can talk about uh, more running race is coming up yeah and then i will use the, the time now to advertise for uh, world of Woo's, uh, course of the year competition as usually this is coming up now in december uh here you are voting on uh, on uh, which course you think is the best this year and uh, jan kochbach who is uh, having this uh, world of Woo internet site he is uh, now looking for advertisers to advertising for prices for look, lucky voters during the December month. So if you have uh, any competition you are organizing in uh, 2023 and want some uh, advertisement at uh, World of Woo, get in touch with uh, Jan Kochbach uh, to uh, get some some uh, yeah free starting positions and uh, something like that for your uh, competitions next season. That could be good. Good uh, advertisement there. Do you know which course you will be voting for? Do you have one in mind already? Uh, I don't have one uh, in mind already. I have to think about it. But do you have any? uh... I mean, almost every year I vote for the Norwegian Ultra Long Champs. So probably also this year. And uh, what do you have for um, hot and not this week then? Yeah, so we have no. I, you know, I'm only having a hot this week. You and we have delegated, so you have the not. Uh, but I will start with the hot. Uh, so last last week we had a big silly season special, 
so this week uh, we will just do a small update from silly season uh, with some very freshly confirmed transfers that uh, is quite hot. Uh, so the first one is Pauli Leinonen from Laden Sunnistayat to Helsingin Sunnistayat. And we talked about Helsingin Sunnistayat last week, you know, when they got Mathieu Perin and Samuel Heinonen. And also now with uh, Pauli Leinonen, they are really, really strengthening the uh, the night team. Uh, he's a quite good night orienteer. He's been running uh, the long night leg at Jukola the last two years, doing pretty well for Laden Sunnistayat. Uh, so another really strong um, newcomer to the Helsingin Sunnistayat team. Um, That's really then, interesting, yeah. Yeah, and then we're moving to southern Sweden with Uko Orion. Uh, first, it came out news that uh, the Danish national team runner Emil Öbro, he will leave Uko Orion and go to Sävedalen instead. He has been moving to Gothenburg. Uh, and then the other way from Gothenburg to Uko Orion, we have Jens Vengdal from IFK Göteborg. He has moved to Karlskrona and he will run for Uko Orion next year. Do you know what uh, was special by, about uh, Jan, Jens Vangdal when he was a junior runner? Yeah, you know, he, uh, I, I remember that from when he was, he was, even before he was a junior, he was running with this really stupid hat. Uh, even if it was really warm, he was running with this, uh, I think it was wool. Uh, yeah, so yeah, it I think quite so. Hot. So yeah, he was running with the, with the hat, even if it was uh, really warm in competitions. It was like some kind of lucky hat, I think. Yeah, uh, that could have been the knot, uh, but uh, <laughs> it was not uh, this week he did that. Uh, uh, the knot this week uh, uh, it comes from me. Um, it could be uh, here in Norway we have this orienteering magazine. And uh, no, it could be the end of the road for that magazine. Because uh, the two journalists responsible for uh, the Norwegian magazine Veivol, they are now... Uh, putting their pants down and will not continue after 11-12 uh, uh, years as responsible for the magazine. They've been working in their spare time uh, and doing a really good job, but uh, now they are quitting. So this could be uh, the last we will see to an orienteering magazine in Norway. Now I think that's uh, a shame. Yeah, that would be really, really sad. I mean... Uh... It was better many years ago when there was more more magazines every year. I think the last few years it's only been down to four or five magazines per year. But of course, they are, they've been doing this on, on the side of the regular work. So you can't really uh, compare it with the Swedish uh, magazine, for example, that has uh, a lot of uh, working power into the magazine. So, But yeah, it's a shame. Uh, it would be a loss for Norwegian orienteering to lose such a great magazine. But uh, we can promise you, we will uh, keep up the work for orienteering here in Even National Orienteering Podcast. And we will be back again uh, next week. See you. Bye. Bye-bye. I'm Raul Ferra, head coach of Harden Ski Club. And I always listen to Even National Orienteering Podcast to get the best overviews and analysis of the main events in the orienteering season. International Orienteering Podcast Map and Compass Navigation Skill Orienteering Competition Running like a motherfucker International Orienteering Podcast